0: Well, as I said, we are returning now to uh, Genesis chapter 45, and you might like to be uh, uh, finding that uh, in a Bible that's uh, dotted somewhere nearby. Track it down on page 50 at the very beginning of the the Bible. Um, It's been a few weeks since we were um, in this story, so uh, let me remind you. Uh, Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers uh, and unjustly thrown into prison uh, where he languished for, for many, many years. But where his capacity to, uh, to understand and interpret dreams finally led to him being remembered by a cupbearer to the king and to be able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, so that he was appointed uh, second in command of all Egypt to oversee the famine relief program that he knew would be needed uh, through his interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. Uh, And because of the famine, uh, his brothers uh, have traveled to Egypt to seek food, Uh, And on their first journey, Joseph recognised them, but they didn't recognise Joseph. And he's uh, sent them back uh, a second time. Uh, And uh, we're picking the story up on this second visit uh, as finally, in a climactic moment, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. Uh, Rachel's going to come and read chapter 45. For us before David speaks.
1: Then Joseph could cont- no longer contain himself before all his attendants and he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard all about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, for you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt, Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land.' You are also instructed to tell them, "'Do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come.' Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as, he was, as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when they saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. My son Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die.
2: Uh, Thank you, Rachel, uh, for reading that for us. If you've got a Bible uh, there, do keep it open. At that chapter. Uh, Those of you watching at home as well, please, if you've got a Bible, do keep it open. Let me lead us in a prayer as we come to look at these words. Uh, Almighty God, you sit enthroned over the highest heavens. You're the one that's sustaining the entire universe. Your power is vast, and yet, in your kindness, you do stick close to us, and thank you for these words you've given. Please help us to hear them the way you intend, that by hearing them, we might draw close to you and know you in your son, the Lord Jesus. Please help us with that. Amen. In 1943, my dad at uh, 16 went to sea. He was a radio officer on a Dutch merchant ship. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Off to sea during the war at 16 years old. I remember him telling me, at times merchant ships would travel in in large convoys, lots of ships together, escorted by warships. But of course, large convoys uh, were uh, an easier target to spot and find out at sea, so at other times, single merchant ships were sent off unescorted. And on an early voyage, his ship was on its own. One evening, he came off duty. Uh, It was dusk, he said, and he came out on deck and was looking over the side, and he saw something that confused him seemed to be a a black rod in the water. And before he realized what it was, the submarine attached to the periscope surfaced out of the water beside his ship. And he knew that U-boats, rather than wasting a torpedo on a single unarmed ship, would often surface beside them to use their deck gun to sink them. He said he couldn't speak for fright at that moment. You can imagine, just looking out at the scene, suddenly this U-boat appears out of the water. But in this case, it was a British submarine. And his fear turned to relief. You hear stories like that, don't you? And you just begin to get a taste of the kind of fear that women and men experience during war. But if you can imagine even a little bit of that, even those of you who are younger, if you can imagine that sense of shock and fright you'll begin in some ways to be able to empathize with Jacob and uh, with Jacob's sons here. In verse three of uh, that reading uh, that we just had read to us there, in verse three when it says, they were not able to answer him because they were terrified. Those, those words are, are often used in other parts of the Bible to, to speak about being paralyzed with fear in a war situation. And you you know why, if you've been following this story with us as we've gone through, because what's surfaced before them, it's not submarine, it's their brother Joseph. And you remember him. He's the one they hated. He's the one they sold into slavery. He's the one they'd given up for dead. He's the one they were guilt-ridden about. And now he's just surfaced before them as the lord of Egypt and you get this in the story you you understand what's going on how awful it is because they were already heading for death because of the famine this was a last-ditched attempt going down to Egypt and now they've discovered that the only one who can really help them is the one they hated tried to get rid of You, you imagine the feeling of that the one you've really hated and treated abominably is the, is the one who stands before you is the only one who can help you it's bad news and so verse 3 you understand they're terrified you it turns out as you read the story they're safe not sunk it is quite a story isn't it uh, the brother they've hated, he, he turns out not to be uh, the expected enemy, but an unexpected savior. And I mean, what a savior, as you, as you hear the way he speaks to them. Do, did you hear that as we went through it? Just look again, if you've got that open in front of you, uh, verse 4, he says to them, come close to me. Verse 4 again, he says to them, I am your brother. I'm your brother, Joseph. Verse 10, if you follow down there, he says to them, you shall be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, all you have, you'll, you'll be near me. Then down in verse 11, you hear these words in this context, I'll provide for you. Then down in verse 15, says this, he kissed, he kissed all these brothers and wept over them. It's amazing, isn't it? Maybe not the bit about being kissed by your brothers, um, being kissed by your brother. Maybe that's a bit too much for you, but it, it is an amazing story. Uh, but then if you can sort of, you, you do this sometimes, don't you? you? You want to put yourself into the story and you think, gosh, how would that feel? And how do you respond in a situation uh, like that? How, how do you respond when you discover the person you accused of being hateful? I mean, you really talked about him being helpful. The person you know you've treated terribly comes and treats you like this. How do you respond to something like that? Your emotions would be all over the place. But what's really startling, I think, is that Joseph, as you begin to listen to him, he still thinks they don't have the full picture on this story. However amazing this story is, he says there's, there's something bigger going on here and he really wants to explain that. That's what's going on in this chapter. Did you spot it? sure you did, but uh, let me draw your attention to it. Look, in, in verses 5 to 8, we're going to focus in on this. Joseph mentions God three times. Did you see that? Verse 5, God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you. Verse 8, it was not you who sent me, but God. Now, just in case, Sunday morning you're dozing a little bit, you want to sit up at this point. Just sit up for a little bit. Make sure you're awake. Because this, this is the really key bit to get in this section, I think. The main actors in this story, it has felt like Joseph and his brothers, but Joseph here says not so much. Not so much. It has always been God. And he even goes as far as to say, look, ultimately, get this, get this, Ultimately, it wasn't the brother's hatred that sent Joseph to Egypt. It was God's loving rescue plan that sent him. See verse 5? It was to save lives that God sent me. Now, that takes some getting your head around, doesn't it? How do you put that together? Because we all know the brothers did sell him. They sold him into Egypt. They really did it, and it was bad. The Bible's not making any excuse for them. What they did was really bad. But he's saying that God was at work, not, not just round about that, but even through that. We'll think more on that next week. But two things for us today. Here's the first thing. If you want to scribble it down, it's pretty simple. It, it's this, look. God's Savior brings to the surface God's grace. Uh, one of the little fellas that lives in my house, I'm quite fond of them, but one of them, during the first lockdown, he took it upon himself to write to the Queen. I mean, we hadn't given him the idea, he just thought she'd quite like to get a card from him. It's very nice, and so he did that. Job done. And he really wasn't expecting what came next, he really wasn't. I, I mean, I thought it might happen, but he, it didn't occur to him at all, but he wasn't expecting what came next. a reply. Queen's very good at that kind of thing. It was lovely to get. And to be clear, you'll know this kind of thing, it was written by a lady-in-waiting. Imagine that, like a lady-in-waiting. to write your letters for you. But the letter bears the queen's seal and crest. So we feel, and he feels as well, it's from the queen. And I think he's right. For this kind of reason, look, the... There's nothing in the letter that doesn't reflect who the queen is. The lady-in-waiting, she, she wrote what she wrote because the queen is who she is. And if you keep that in mind, I think you'll you begin to get your head around what Joseph's saying here. In a sense, he's answering the question that, that maybe you've been asking, and certainly he, he wants his brothers to be asking, is, look, it's this kind of thing, look, what's happening to you now? The situation, brothers, that you find yourself in, that's going on all around you, that's got your emotions in a turmoil, the thing that's happening to you, the things you're receiving, where has that come from? That a Savior is in place. As your lives are falling apart, that a Savior's in place who's able to rescue you. And that he doesn't just rescue you, he treats you, he speaks to you and treats you like family And that he doesn't say, look, if you want to stay now, if you want to stay now, you've got to earn your place. No, what he says is, I'll provide for you. I'll provide everything you need. And that in saving you, he's not just doing a job, you you can tell by the kissing and the weeping, that his heart, even if you're embarrassed about it, his heart's genuinely flooded with love for you. I mean, if you need saving, it'd be good to be saved by someone like that, wouldn't it? Now, where does a savior like that come from? That's the question you meant to be asking. Where, Where does a savior like that come from? Where is he sent from? Do you see Joseph's answer in verse five? God sent me. Joseph is the way he is, loving and gracious. He's become that kind of person. Joseph offers what he offers to them safety, life, because God is who he is. Because that's what God's like. Friends, do you hear? You might have all sorts of questions about this, but do you hear what God is saying to you in this part of the Bible? God's saviour brings to the surface, so you can see it, feel it, taste it, almost touch it. God's grace. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing, and it's it's really just saying the same thing again from the other side. In some ways, that that God's saviour sinks, not you. God's saviour is coming to sink the lie that God's not gracious. For years, the family of Robert Key didn't talk about his death. He, he was being a soldier in the Second World War. He died in a town in France, I think it's called Anazin. It was September the 5th, 1944. The report about his death said he was killed showing off with a hand grenade. It's hard for a family to kind of honor a death like that. With all the sacrifice that went on during the war, it's hard to honor a death like that where somebody just showing off foolishly loses their life that way. You, you'll be grieve about it, you'll be sad about it, but it's hard to honor it. The true story came out years later when the mayor of that French town got in touch with their family, uh, writing to them to say they were going to be naming a street in, in the town in honor of Robert and wanted to let them know, see whether they wanted to come over for it. Strange thing. Why would you honor a man like that? Why would you name a street in your town after a man who was showing off with a hand grenade? But uh, the story that, about what actually happened was, was different. It turns out that while on a lone patrol... Robert spotted a young child in a group of children who picked up a discarded hand grenade and pulled out the pin. And Robert, seeing it, he rushed over and grabbed the device and put it inside his jacket and ran as far as he could. Not long, a timer on those things, and it went off and he was killed, giving his life for another. For many children, in fact, it seems. And it the time when the military investigated they didn't really have people there who could speak much French and they were talking to children who, who didn't have much English and with a kind of sign language of, of pulling pins out of something they got the impression that it was Robert who was playing with the device but the townspeople later discovered the, the wonderful truth But an untrue story was told and believed about him for years. So why mention that? Well, on a day like today, isn't it, Remembrance Sunday, it's good to remember and honor people who've done things like that. But as well as that, I think it speaks into and illustrates well the message of the Bible. The book of Genesis, if you know it at all, you'll... you remember how it begins. It begins with God making a a good world with people he loves at the heart of it. And God says to them, in effect, I am good and I'm gracious, and I'm giving you this, this whole world, for you to enjoy. But you need to learn that it's my words that bring life, so I want you to trust and obey the, the small and limited ways where I say, no, trust me in that. It's for your good. But an enemy came, and told an untrue story about God, that he's not loving and gracious, he's not giving, he's, he's keeping good things from you. His words won't give safety in life, you need to take things yourself, do things your own way, ignore him. And in Genesis 3, people believe the lie, and from that point onwards, that lie has darkened the hearts of everyone who's ever lived, and it's been ruinous, People turn from God. The world spiraled into to sin and selfishness and death, just as God said it would. All the way down in the book of Genesis to these brothers who have, have acted at times in just really terrible ways. But God is loving and Gracious. And he made promises to graciously save people. Do you remember, we, we read about it some weeks back again, that the promise he made to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, that one day through this family, all peoples on earth, God had a plan that one day through this family, all peoples on earth would be blessed again. We, we said reading it. As you read that in the Bible, it, it seems far too big a promise. Is is God good enough to do that? Is he powerful enough to do something like that? Well, let's see. Let's see if he can start with this little messed up family here. And through this book, God's been acting in ways to show that the lie about him is not true. And here we are Near the end, do you understand how to read this book? How it's answering this question: Is God mean? Is He not gracious? Does He not care ab- about people? And and here we are towards the end of the book with a bunch of people who've treated God and each other terribly, who don't deserve anything from Him. Yet He sends a savior like this, who rescues them, provides for them, doesn't ask anything from them. They're not doing anything to contribute towards this. And then he also treats them as family and and shows that he loves them, that his heart is flooded with love for them. See what's going on in this this old, old book? God's Savior sinks the lie that God is not gracious. And you and me... Like we need to see this story, we need to hear this story, because we're tempted, don't we? You're tempted all the time. I'm tempted all the time to believe the lie as well, to think that God, if he's real, he's not gracious, he's just demanding. That if we want things from him, we've got to pay the price, do the hard things that he says, because he, he's not really generous like that. That his word, when he speaks to us, it's not a gift that nourishes your life, it's just something that spoils it, that's really demanding of you. Those of you who are teenagers, you feel that sometimes, don't you? Why should I read the Bible? Why should I even think about doing what God says? To underneath that reaction, when you feel that reaction coming out from you, underneath it is the same lie that God is not gracious. And God says to you this morning, if you're someone who wrestles with that lie, God says to you that if you wrestle with that lie about me, If you want to know what I'm like, look at the Savior I send for people. Look at what the Savior I send is like. God's Savior sinks the lie that God is not gracious. Uh, we've said on many occasions, look, some of these stories in the Old Testament, they're, they're always, in a way, pointing beyond themselves. It's almost like they're, they're stretching as far as they can to show you something that's much bigger. Joseph was a wonderful savior for God's people in Genesis, wonderful to, to be one of his brothers in that situation. But in lots of ways, he, he's here just to give you and me a taste of the real savior who surfaced for you now. John puts it this way in his gospel when he says this, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him didn't do anything else. He just got to trust in him, believe in him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And here's the sending again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him It's Jesus who brings to the surface God's grace. It's Jesus who who sinks the lie that God is not gracious. How do we respond uh, to a God like that? Let let me go just for one thing uh, this morning. There's lots in this passage. And maybe in our small groups as we're looking at it this week, we'll think more. But let me go for one thing. Because time is shorter, I'm going to address it to those of you who are younger. The rest of us who are older, we'll just work harder at trying to fit it to ourselves. But can I say, those of you who are younger, maybe you're, you feel yourself quite young as a Christian as well. You might be at the stage where you're feeling, do you know what, I just do all sorts of things wrong. I seem to muck up all the time, get things wrong. You might be at the stage where maybe it's your temper is getting the better of you. At home with your parents, you always feel cross with them. You feel it in the moment, and you don't like it afterwards, and maybe at times you know you're being in right pain, and you've, maybe along with that, you've noticed thoughts and attitudes in your head, in your behavior, and you've started to feel guilty about them. Maybe you've even prayed you've not to talk to anyone else about it, and you've said, Lord, please change me. But into your thinking comes the thought, what must God think of me? I seem to muck up in all sorts of ways. What must God think it be? And if I'm a Christian at all, and you wonder if you are, I'm certainly not a very good one. God probably wouldn't want me around. And if you feel that in any way at all, if you've felt things like that, would you try really hard to hear this this morning? Underneath those kinds of feelings is that same lie and worry that God is not gracious, that he doesn't give, that you've got to earn your place with him, that the way you relate to him is do well enough and then he'll accept you. That's not true. Listen to how God's savior speaks. Back in Genesis even, even as just a foretaste, chapter 45 and verse 5, if you've got that there in front of you, speaking to these brothers, and now don't be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Coming to know the Savior, it's not a time for endless self-recrimination. Yes, there's things we know we've done wrong, we feel sad about, but God wants you to know the Savior. Not even your sin can stop God being gracious to you. Those of you who are young, I wonder if you've understood this yet. If you have not, you need to know it. In this world, because we're fallen since Genesis 3 onwards, you'll struggle with sin, with doing things wrong. It will be a battle for you all through this life. But God knows that. And because of that, because he's gracious and kind, he has already sent you a savior. The Lord Jesus has, he has surfaced in this world for you, to save you. He knows the pin, if you like, has been pulled on sin in this world. And yet it was him at the cross who rushed in and has taken the blast for you. He is for you, whoever you are, if you will receive him by faith, if you will trust him. God has sent him to be your Savior. He will save you. He will provide for you. Hear this He will treat you like family, and He will constantly assure you of His love. And what to do with that? Look to spot the lie wherever it comes up. Wherever you feel God's not gracious, notice it. Spot it as the lie that it is. Turn to the Savior. He's been sent for you. He loves you. And look, maybe as you begin to read his word, maybe even today you'll do it this way, thinking these aren't words that are here to spoil life, but they're gifts to nourish me from a God that loves me and wants to save me. Let God's Savior sink the lie that God's not gracious. We tried on these Sundays going through this series to have a little question to talk about. Look, here, Here's one that you can maybe talk about with friends or with family, uh, with, with parents, with those who are older in your house. Here's the question. You can scribble it down if you like. When are you tempted to believe the lie that God is not gracious? That could be a good thing to talk about this week. Let's stop there. Let's have a moment just to bow our own heads. Maybe there's something you want to say to God. Uh, yourself in your own hearts. Let's have a moment to do that. And then Steve will lead us on.